everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. The amount of shit talking that occurs at the expense of Cincinnati in this episode is ridiculous. Apologies in advance to any offended residents. But seriously, why does your town suck so bad? Our chat with Derek Hansen dissects the history of speed training from Charlie Francis to whatever nonsensical workouts your coach made you do in high school. Hansen is able to explain how Francis's philosophies helped shape the structure of his training, but he also discusses how the nuance of sport has allowed him to evolve as a coach. He's got a lot of interesting insights about working with high-level athletes and coaches, as well as a solid argument on how the politics around COVID are very much like that of football. If you're exhibiting symptoms of increased heart rate, shortness of breath, and high arousal, physiological or sexual, do not be alarmed. These are all normal signs that you're excited for Power Athlete Radio. Here it is, episode 359. We're going to get into it today, people. We are talking speed, 100% speed. We're talking about 1998 film starring Keanu Reeves, Dennis Hopper, and why am I forgetting? Sandra, Sandra Bullock. Bullock. No, Sandra Bullock. Uh, uh, Jeff Daniels, right? Luke's just been looking for his poor man, no, Sandra Anthony Bullock, Hopper. for years. It, the bad guy is Hopper. Dennis, Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper. Yeah, but who is Jack? Jack's partner. Whoa. Yeah, Jeff Daniels, you donkey. Yeah, that is Jeff Fresh Daniels. off of Dumb and Dumber. What is yeah. this? My, what am I, sitting here playing cards with my brother's kids or something? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking speed today. Uh, we're going to get into every nook and cranny of it. We're going to talk <laughs> legitimate speed. Actually, an, an, an expert. <laughs> with an expert uh, spring coach. But first, it's time to inform you about a hot, hot, hot. three T's. Hot. Hot off the press course on Power Athlete Academy. Ladies and gentlemen, this course, we are working with an ACL injury prevention course. We are looking to reduce the risk of ACL injury by focusing on training and identifying five modifiable risk factors. So we have taken a lot of time, and we recently had Dr. Tim Hewitt on here. We dove into his research and broke out four modifiable risk factors. And modifiable because you can effectively attack them through sound strength and conditioning practices. So we break off into different assessment tools that allow you to see these modifiable risk factors unfold within your athletes. So we deep dive into the assessment tools specifically directed at looking for these modifiable risk factors and then provide you with the strength and conditioning program to bolt on to your strength practices, or if you're a sport coach, your team warm-ups before practice to put you in the best position to identify and then modify these injury risk factors. Preach. Preach. To learn more, head to academy.powerathletehq.com. So here's what you're getting, people. You're getting over two hours of video breakdown. We're talking breakdown of these assessments. We're actually going to apply the assessments. We're going to walk you through the assessment process. And then you just learn exactly what to do. One might call this an off-the-shelf turnkey approach. So if you are one of these primary stakeholders, Tex, what do we mean by stakeholder? An, an individual that has a direct impact on your athlete's performance. Huh. So this could be parents, 
So if you want to empower parents to understand how to discuss this with other stakeholders, such as a sports medicine professional, their PT, if you will, and then the strength coach, and then most importantly, a parent-to-sport coach connection. Mm -hmm. So if you see some things that we talk about within the course not happening for your athlete, Mm -hmm. say the coach is skipping warm-ups or you see movement drills that we present being neglected, this is your opportunity to have the social intelligence in the background through the course to intervene mm-hmm. and connect with that sport coach to change and protect your athlete. That's right. This, this course is beneficial for each one of those stakeholders, right? In the sense of creating a common language, not just to reduce injury, but to protect your athletes. So that goes to your sports med folks. That goes to your sport coach folks. That goes to your strength coach folks. And like you said, Mr. McQuilkin, most importantly, the parents. Yes. And if you're a gym owner, this is your opportunity oh gosh, now yeah. to holster and bolster your toolkit yeah. with speaking towards injury prevention to parents. That's right. So assessment tools to show the parents, hey, these are modifiable risk factors we're seeing. And then you, the coach, provide the strength and conditioning program to modify those risk factors. To learn more, academy.powerathletehq.com. It is a must-have in your toolkit, people. You got to have it. You got to have it. Now, speaking of performance and protecting athletes, I feel the need, the need for speed. Let's talk to Derek Hansen. Let's talk a little bit of movies, obviously. Let's talk a little bit of uh, quarantine, obviously. But most importantly, let's talk uh, how to empower your athletes. Uh, so you worked with the, with the Chiefs, huh? Is that what you posted? Uh, yeah, Probably five years since, like, I think I presented at the Combine in 2015, and then I was approached by them uh, after my presentation, and then just the last five years doing a lot of the off-season stuff and prep on the speed side. Nice. So it was kind of nice to see. Um, I took last year, we went there and did some more demos. I took my son because I needed somebody who could, because I had done something for the Seahawks earlier, and uh, the staff was doing the demos. And the staff usually isn't very athletic. No. Um, I thought we were going to get a heart attack uh, scene there. So I said, well, I'll bring my son, and he can just do mass repeats of all the drills and demos and all that. So I took him, and then we're kind of sitting in the cafeteria in between sessions. And I said, hey, this, it'd be kind of cool if they uh, won the Super Bowl. Like, this is a joke, right? If they won the Super Bowl, now you could say you were involved in, in – getting the team ready right and we sort of laughed <laughs> right anyways and then sure enough it's kind of neat yeah 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 who the uh, who's the strength coach there now uh barry rubin's been there a while because he was with uh coach reed uh at philly hmm. and they were at green bay back in the okay. day so nice yeah those guys you know they tend to once you endear yourself to somebody and you're you know in the system and this it just you know guys go somewhere new they just tend to bring their guys in which ends up being pretty good yeah and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't right so i don't know i mean i understand the the need to have some sort of level of trust and 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 be able to anticipate how people are thinking and then but sometimes it it just gets a little stale too right so well i don't know that and also um i think uh you know 
what um, NFL strength coaches just kind of like try to run like the same playbook every year and like, Hey, you know what? We didn't get anybody hurt last year. This was a successful program. And I don't always know if, if that's like the measure for success, if you should be just looking at like, well, nobody got hurt. It's like saying like, Hey, our safety plan, nobody died, but you know, was it any good? So I sometimes one of those guys gets stuck. And then, I mean, it's kind of inspiring to hear that they brought you in and actually kept, you know, defaulted to bring in some experts on the outside and being like, Hey, we don't know everything. Cause a lot of times in the NFL, as you, I'm sure you've known, um, everybody's an expert in everything and they know everything. So, yeah. And I, you know, <clears throat> I like the idea that it was a five year progression. Like, you know, they could have lost too, right. They could have, you know, not run wasp, whatever. And, um, but I like the idea that we've demonstrated that like, if you stick to a plan and, it's incremental because it certainly wasn't like I went in there and they just changed everything. It was like year to year. I had to kind of build their confidence on certain things. Um, so that was, I, I like that because it, it, you know, as you guys know, you can't, if things are changing overnight, it's really not because of you. It's just because of some other reason or just happenstance. So um, we did build a lot of things in and, and a lot of it was bolstered by, uh, personnel decisions and coaching decisions. So, you know, it's not me, it's, it's this sort of synergy behind everything that happened. So, and I think people need to understand that it's not, it's not like you're going to change your exercise program or buy a new piece of equipment and it's going to change things. Right. One of the things I was kind of happy about was they had GPS when we started, but, but they weren't really using it as part of like, coach Reed wasn't load managing with GPS. He was using his instincts. Right. And so after a while I said, well, why are you guys still paying like whatever hundred grand a year to use this? And then they, they dropped it a couple of years ago because it wasn't really part of their plan and the coaching staff wasn't using it. And, you know, at the end of the day, the team that won the Super Bowl didn't use GPS for quite a few years. So that's kind of cool. Um, I'm not saying I'm not shitting on GPS, but certainly, there's a whole bunch of other things that could be done before you go like, okay, well, you know, what, what, you know, what are our player loads? Like, well, how long is your practice? What type of stuff did you do in that practice? What's the composition? There's other ways to do it as you guys know. So, um, that was kind of cool. Did, uh, I mean, I'm like, uh, like knowing about like, you know, your system and what you do, uh, was it a hard sell to kind of teach them the max effort kind of idea of like the only way you get faster is by sprinting fast. Cause I mean, I, I remember a lot of the off season training when I trained at the, uh, when I was at the Eagles and the chiefs, everything looked like a conditioning workout. And I ended up never training there in the off season. Cause I was like, dude, you guys like, there is no speed development. You guys are so focused on conditioning. And I'm like, man, it, it, it takes me. Um, you know, three to run as fast as I need, but I can get in the best shape of my life in, you know, four or five weeks. So like, it just was kind of a weird deal that every time I went to go train, it was just like repeats kind of tempo, um, nothing but just overloading the conditioning. And there was very few uh, days of just really actually speed development type of stuff. Yeah. Anything that's running was definitely kind of a conditioning sort of theme to it. So and a lot of the time, the conditioning test at the beginning of training or the test is a conditioning test at the beginning of training camp. Sure. So then everything is kind of funneled to that test, which is interesting because. No, you, you can know, say it. It's not. It, speed. It, 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 it's <laughs> worthless. Interesting. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll just give you an example. So uh, I didn't train there. Um, I didn't train one or just one off season in my NFL career. I trained with the team. And uh, when we came back to run the conditioning test, I always won every conditioning test. And I was always the fastest guy. 
And they were like, man, you've been running a lot. I'm like, yeah, real fast. Like, uh, we, you know, with, I trained with Rafael Ruiz down in Tampa, and everything was like max acceleration. And I just remember like, thinking, like, why do you guys think that going out and just these submaximal efforts will, redu- will result in what you're hoping to do? And it was like, well, yeah. we got to get ready people for this conditioning test. And I'm like, but I win the conditioning test, and I don't do this. And like, I just remember yeah. that being like a hard thing for people to wrap their head around. Yeah, and, and and so you have a sport that's inundated with 110 yard runs because like hey like you got to run the length of the field and um, and if you do that three times then that's great so then you have a 300 yard shuttle so you know that's the math that they're doing in their head as opposed to well what happens on every play and what are the demands of of, of the game specifically so um, you know pushing them and, and part of it too is not just the coaching staff and everybody involved with the organization, but it's the players too, because the players kind of fall into that. Like, this is what we do. You know, you know, I, I, so we had cases where we're doing speed work in the off season. You had players coming up to the staff and going, man, this is crazy. Like we're, 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 you're making us run fast. Like this is nuts. I've, I've been at a vet for seven years now in the NFL and we never sprinted in the off season. So when I started hearing stuff like that, I'm just like, what the hell's going on? Right. Um, uh, dude, uh, man, like it's, it's so crazy to me that, um, I mean, dude, I've been retired for 10 years and this is still like, you're still fighting this battle. I, I remember, uh, when I was down in Tampa, um, we were at the track and there was like some pretty high level college. Like I want to say some people that ran in Europe were out running and I watched these guys run 400 meters. They were doing max effort 400 meters and they ran it four times and they rested like 10 to 15 minutes in between reps and they knew how fast they had to run. And uh, that was like, I mean, their warm up took an hour. Like they were probably two hours on the track, but like, you know, and like seeing like the way those guys were, co- were cultivating speed. And I remember just thinking like the NFL, I mean, especially the receivers and these guys are just all out dead ass sprints. And I'm like, you guys aren't doing anything to develop this capacity. So it's good that, uh, you know, and that they have kind of after all these years tried to break that mold a little bit. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, and again, you know, I, I got to earn a living too. So I think there's a number of teams and, and college programs that kind of saw that and know the story behind it. So um, <laughs> right after, I think it was the, um, uh, whatever, the second round against the Texans, um, right after that game, I got a call from the Texans. So like, Hey, we want to do something right after they, they came back and beat the Texans. So, nice. uh, you know, maybe that has to happen. Maybe people have to go like, what are they doing? Like, Holy shit. Right. Um, and then a lot, you know, I've set up a number of calls <clears throat> over the last little while with college football programs and during this quarantine period. And, and we're, we're talking about those things. Like I wrote an article for simply faster. It was called the culture of speed and how do you organize your, your organization around like it's not just about recruiting fast players it's not just about doing speed work it's about making sure the practices run a certain way it's making sure the rehab staff understand the return to play progression around that and i think some people are starting to go oh okay like there is a culture component to it in in our last episode uh you talked about going into a college and then they were turned off by you so have you experienced any change in the language that you present and formulate presenting to colleges that you don't want to necessarily change what they're doing, but add value to that? Yeah, I had a great conversation yesterday about this <clears throat> with just a personal friend who was trying to 
get people to buy into his sort of rehab approach. And, and I think part of it is like, I recommended that he read um, Dale Carnegie's book, like how to influence people and how to win friends or influence and people. Yeah. 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 And I said, like, it's kind of an old book, but you should probably read it. Right. Uh, I just listed that on my required reading list. Yeah. And you got to read it a couple times, you know, uh, like, dude, I wish somebody had given to me that book when I was in my teens and I didn't read it later in life. I'm like, man, this is going to solve a lot well, of problems. I wish somebody gave me like the wherewithal to understand what the hell he was talking about. Like, cause I would have, I'm sure I could have read it, but I just wouldn't have got it. Yeah. But you could still action these things. Like I don't buy it, but I still can action these things. And then you just scam your way through it. Mm-hmm. All right. Sorry. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't come down to like, I mean, you're right with the language text. Um, so you have to kind of go in, like I, I did some work in January for an NHL team, right? And they wanted me to talk about speed and dry land speed as it relates to ice hockey. So we're, I'm in a boardroom with about, I don't know, about 12 people from the performance staff, the, the skating coach, the, the skills coach, you know, all these different people, all the medical staff. And the first thing I said was like, listen, I'm a shitty skater. You put me on skates, I'm going to fall on my face, break my wrist, whatever. Um, so I'm not really going to talk about skating. I'm not here to tell you what you're doing is wrong. I'm just going to talk about the dry land piece and how it transfers, right? And so right there, they're like, okay, he's not a skating guy. He's not, He's not. not. I don't feel threatened. And so even that sort of approach uh, when I go into a situation now is like, this is kind of my experience. This is what I found has worked. You guys are probably doing some good stuff, so maybe you can pull from what my experience was, and I think that that goes a long way rather than coming as as the expert or the guru or the you know I'm going to change all of you and I, I know the way. So uh, that that has certainly helped, and I think a lot of people don't realize that they think like I got to come in strong and I got to show everybody like that I'm like you know going to kick ass here, and you know how it is, right? Especially with pro teams and and high level programs, there's there is sort of a culture of fear involved in those programs too with like, Hey, I got to keep my job. I got to show my worth. I got it. So all you do is you come in and you facilitate that. Like I'm going to make you look better. I, I don't want your job. Right. So uh, that's taken years. Like you said, John, like it's, if I had that book, maybe I've been a little further ahead, but, but you know, trial and error works too. Right. Well, so. uh, like I think sometimes youth and hubris, like, um, you know, that approach and like, you know, the idea of like, Hey, I fucking know the right information and it's my job to like inform you when you're in your twenties and thirties and you get a little bit older and you're like, all right, you do you and let me do me. And like, I don't want to do your job. So I'm just going to come in here and like help you guys be the best version. And I think that just takes a little bit of like perspective, a little bit of age. And sometimes, you know, having got your ego stomped a little bit and being like, I'm going to stay in my lane, you know, especially if you come into like, and as you know, going into NFL teams, uh, everybody always wants to come and tell them all the things they are doing wrong and how they can help them and make them better. And uh, that, like you said, it instantly puts these coaches and these people that are very nervous about their jobs. I mean, we used to joke that uh, the only person more nervous than an NFL coach is like, what was it? A long tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. I had a, a, an old, like, as, as you know, football coaches are like notorious for funny cliches. And we used to have this old Texan dude who's been like, man, these people in here are ner- more nervous than a bunch of long tail cats in a bunch of rocking chairs. And I just do, uh, it, it just, that analogy to me was so funny, but it's true. But they do get nervous, especially when they bring in some outside consultant, because they're always nervous that it's going to shine light on something that they're not doing well, instead of being like, hey man, you guys don't have to be the experts. Like, let's bring in the expert that knows how to do this stuff. 
And I, and I, I just think uh, yeah. in, in the NFL, too, um, there's so much like uh, monkey see, monkey do. Like, well, this is what these guys did, and they were successful, so let's just do that. And a lot of times it just is going around in circles. Yeah, and, and there was another friend who I talked to. I mean, that's a great point. Like, if you're creating fear, it's not very productive. So this idea that, you know, you have to support people and I have to support the person as a consultant as well and, and, and help them along. Like my friend uh, goes to AA meetings and has some addiction issues. <clears throat> and he's in a relationship where whenever he falls off the wagon, um, you know, his partner's like, you know, fuck, you know, you got to got to get your shit together you can't do this like and it's very negative right Where, whereas i know some other people who've been in that situation and the people have all kind of come around them and said hey you were sober for like 60 days that's pretty good especially during a quarantine um and this stressful situation so like let's let's applaud that and let you know you had a a, a little bit of a fail and let's let's build on that right so i think it's kind of the same thing like you said if you go in there and go you're doing this wrong you're doing this wrong people are like fuck off right um so, yeah, you have to learn how to get your foot in the door and be productive in a very positive way and, and chip away with positivity, right? And I think you hopefully eventually get to the state where you've created a relationship and a level of trust where you can say very candidly, you're doing this wrong. And it doesn't, isn't perceived as a negative, right? I don't know if that's possible. That'd probably be a question for Slowiak back at our previous podcast, guess, because what you're talking about, Derek, is a lot to do with um, her her work, Julie Slowiak, in behavioral psychology, and uh, j- mostly like with kids and students and stuff like that. But now it's coming over into building trust and creating an environment where you can get the results you're looking for without presenting a threat, right? Yeah, that's the key. Like, uh, do I, you know, if we sit down and go through my progressions for speed training, it's like, well, that's really easy, right? And so now the courses that I run are not just about, you know, the science behind it and the technique behind coaching. It's like, you know, how do you get people to buy in from a psychological point of view too, right? So you've got to build all this stuff around it so that they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And I I feel comfortable doing your method because you showed me this, this, and this. And it is, it is entirely psychosocial, right? It's not, it's not as technical. It is technical. Like, let's be honest. Like you see people mess up a drill. You're like, okay, you got to clean that up. That's ridiculous. But at the same time, it is, it is providing this level of trust and these buffers around people's insecurities. And, and then, then everybody's happy. It's like that whole thing about like, you need people to buy into you before they buy into your program or your, your approach. Right. Mm -hmm. So as a coach, and I think if that, if that happens at any coaching level, then it's going to be way better despite a few technical flaws. Can I ask you about something um, that we, so we were presented with a, we, a question from uh, one of our listeners on an Instagram live shtick we do in the morning about feed the cats. Have you heard about this feed the cats system? Loosely. Like okay. I haven't followed directly, but people tell me about okay, it. Okay. Yeah. So we did like a cursory review. Yeah. And- Didn't want to buy into it. And then we were just like, it just sounds like you're running fast. Like, what's, what's no, the novelty it, here? It was, um, I can't remember, like, the exact piece. But as I was going through it, actually, that's why I emailed Derek. And I was like, you know, let me reach out to who I consider to be the expert. I was like, am I reading this right? And you were like, no, nope, you're reading it dead on. Like, it, it just, it was, uh, it was interesting to me that they, uh, you know, their idea of, like, this minimal load. But there was no, no talk of, uh, you know, developing capacity or none of the GPP work. 
And um, I just think for like a bunch of athletes at that age, I mean, those guys are probably at the age when they could most develop those kind of those metabolic pathways. You know, I mean, like the, the program looked to me like something like a master's track guy would hope for in his 40s that couldn't recover enough. <laughs> like that's what it kind of looked like and he was spinning yeah, it, looks it great. and he's spinning I mean but like uh, you know because we trained uh, God who was um, uh, the master's track dude um, JP yeah JP. JP like looking at like him having to reduce his volume over time as he aged and I remember looking at this I'm like dude like this is like just not a lot of it's just not enough for these kids yeah that that's my I mean if I interpret their program it's very like ultra specificity like just run fast mm-hmm. don't run slow um but we don't teach you how to run fast they just just go fast <laughs> yeah just go like let's race and, and let's, as you know everybody just inherently has good run technique and understands all these key you know very uh unique and very specific like cues and they just fucking run as fast as you can yeah, let me and reframe it, the question because i feel like i'm not intending to get you to like yeah shit talker yeah, yeah that's not wasn't the intent of it perhaps but what if I phrase it's okay it, if it is okay? Well, what if, <laughs> what if I phrase it this way? Does something need a name like that to be successful, like a yes. system and a shtick and like these bullet points? Look at the Whopper and the Big Mac, okay? Like they're just fucking hamburgers, Two all beef patties, lettuce, cheese, pickles, yeah. Onions. But but it's like uh, like On a sesame seed bun, I think special that, sauce. I, th- <laughs> I, I think that there is a definite um, piece in the market within any training program, diet, whatever, that what people do is they tend to go against the grain and do something that's against common and they tend to give it some like altruistic name. But so, is it, like, is it against the grain though that much? This well, well, if you think about like uh, if you like there's a weird deal like in uh, and I was remembering just like thinking as I was reading through it just thinking of some of our like high school track workouts uh, as a you know I had dreams of being a, a hurdler and as I started getting bigger and and uh, playing football all of a sudden that went away and they were like hey we want you to throw the shot in the discus and I'm like it's fine but I still want to train with the hurdlers because I think this would help me for football and uh, I remember like one of our track workouts was like 16 220s so it was walk at 220 sprint at 220 and that was like a pretty standard workout. And I remember thinking like, how, how is this going to help us? Like it, but you just fucking do it because they're telling you what to do. And so I think what happens is, is in high school, they have this kind of idea of like, uh, you know, let's just beat people down because, you know, people don't know any better. And I think what the dude guy came in is he was trying to like, yeah, just swing the pendulum to the other side and be like, no, don't do any extra conditioning work. Just run as fast as you can. But the problem is, is that, at least, and I'm sure uh, Derek will jump on this, like a lot of that technique work is developed in those kind of, you know, in those tempo runs and understanding how to breathe and move. And, you know, it, it's hard to coach technique when somebody's running by you as fast as you can. So a lot of times that stuff happens in other ways. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm not going to poo-poo the, all the, you know, the you know I did the whatever 16 to 220s too, right? And so there has to be that foundation of, of capacity work that 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 is going to vault you up higher when you do a, implement the speed work right and charlie francis was big on that and the proportions of low intensity versus high intensity and so i think what happened is the pendulum like you said you know they everybody's doing conditioning so he said let's swing it to specificity and let's just do this let's call it feed the cats it's you know very very easy to understand whereas you know there's a lot of gray area that has to be addressed as well and that's you know why does the conditioning work help um, why does it have to be done? Why does it have to be done in greater uh, proportions than the speed work and all that? And you have to work that out. But certainly, 
if you get a whole bunch of kids together and you just like the other way of doing is put them in a lot of races. So like maybe you just do baton passes and other field events during the week, technical stuff. And then you just put them in a shitload of races. Like you're doing the one, two, four, four by four, four by one, right? That's a hell of a workout at max effort too, which is going to create an adaptation that you want. And so, you know, I, I see why they came up with that approach and maybe, you know, I think they're in the Chicago area. So I think maybe they're reactionary to what they've seen happen. And then they had success, which doesn't surprise me, especially if, if everybody's like, I've had athletes who've done a lot of that middle uh, ground, a, a lactic work, and then they shift over to me. And as soon as I do speed work, we get a really good result because they've done that work. And now I'm getting specific as part of that progression. And then they have the capacity and they have the speed. Now, if you miss that step of not doing all that work capacity and you just do speed, your your peak will be, you know, like this and it'll drop off quicker too. You don't have this gradual buildup of this foundation and it doesn't last as long. So that's where I think you got to be careful, right? And and maybe there's some preconditions they have for their program. I haven't gone into it, but well, their big uh their big piece is that um any type of lactic work is uh is is you know like detrimental to speed. So like that was the one thing that I was like, oh, I'm going to email you um, was because I'm like, man, like we do no type of lactic work, uh, any type of, you know, uh, like lactate buffering or anything that involves like that, you know, the, the lactate system, you know, we just avoid all that stuff. And I remember being like, man, like that is uh, um, it's counterproductive to what I've found works. And so that's kind of where I reached out and was like, man, like especially for these you know young athletes that are like 14 to 16, 18 years old, when they need all that development of that foundational work. I mean, the reason it's called the foundations and the basics is because that's usually where you start. And I think you get into trouble when you start trying to hack that stuff, especially at a young age. Yeah, because even in football, if somebody's running like a two minute drill or, or you know, you had a long offensive series and then, you know, there's a fumble on the kickoff and you get the ball back and you got to go back in. Like there's all these scenarios where you have to have that ability and we're not saying train excessively in that zone, but certainly, you know, touch on it and have that covered to some degree. Right. And I think that's the way I've approached it is like, there's, there's nothing evil about it, but certainly if you take too many aspirins at once, you're going to kill yourself. So, um, so it's all dose dependent, right? you know, and, and what kind of effect you're trying to get out of it. But it's just, you know how it is. Everything's so polarized nowadays. Like it's either you're you're with me or you're against me, yeah. right? Like it's not, and there's so much gray area, even with this coronavirus stuff, as I understand, you know, we got to quarantine, we got to be safe, but then we got to get back to business. But it's not like, fuck, open up the state and everybody can do whatever they want. And, you know, so it's somewhere in the middle where we've got to figure out the testing and the, you know, the the, the progression back. But well, people are nuts. I feel like, um, and not to belabor the point, but I feel like they implemented a lot of this stuff without any conscious thought of how they were going to get out on the backside. Yeah. Like, hey, like we need to quarantine. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, we'll have a month to figure it out. Like, I don't, <laughs> I like, it, like, didn't figure I, it out. I, I secretly hoped that like our elected leaders aren't just there because there was nobody of, because all the really smart people were doing their own shit. Mm. Because like, I, like you, you hear a lot of these guys talking. I don't think that they had a plan. Like, uh, it was this reaction. Talking about like, um, kind of like, like U.S. soccer. Like we would have a very tremendous U.S. soccer team if there wasn't football, or oh, yeah. you know what I mean, or like Whoa. CrossFit. You know, yeah. like the great, the fittest well, in the world are there because people are playing soccer, football, baseball, and like real sports. 
and like that's our elected leaders or the crossfitters of government? Uh, I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say when he, <laughs> when when he said, uh, you know, it's all of us against all of them, and you know, drawing those yeah. like polarizing. That's the Greg Glassman model, oh. where it's like, hey man, like uh, this is who we are. This is who doesn't like us, and this is who our enemy. He was really good about drawing these fence around his mm-hmm. people, and you're either with us or against us. And it was like, if you're not doing this, and it's and it's. Uh, I mean, even when I met with them and they asked me, like, what do, what do you think about CrossFit for athleticism? I'm like, submaximal efforts in the same movement pattern over and over again doesn't do anything to breed athleticism. And, like, there's no speed development. Jogging 400 meters after you do 50 air squats isn't, like, this is all conditioning work. Like, where's, yeah. and, and even your strength work isn't strength work. And uh, that was when they were like, you know, because they had this dream of being able to get into, you know, high school sports and other markets. So that's when they approached me and I was like, like there's nothing athletically based. Like I, it just looks like fitness and fitness is fine, but you can get extremely fit with the shittiest technique and the worst athleticism in the planet. But athleticism is that, you know, that ultimate pretty girl that walks in the room or the Ferrari in the parking lot. And it's, it's, it's something different than what you're used to seeing. Yeah. I, I don't think it's difficult to create a cult following, right? I've been watching Tiger King and it's obviously <laughs> I, I haven't figured I'm like, I'm watching this time going, shit, I don't want to pet a tiger. Like that doesn't do it for me. Like what if it bites my finger off? Right. Like I'm thinking that's how I think, right. I'm a little more pragmatic rather than, you know, like, Oh, look, a tiger, right. You know? So, um, it's not difficult to get people to follow you if you have a vehicle and you have a, you know, a bit of a mantra around it, like we're going to save tigers or, you know, so I think it's kind of the same with fitness, right? Like keep it simple, have some sort of, you know, mantra or vehicle and like, we're going to do this. And then everybody just flocks to it for whatever reason, um, you know, they have their own issues around fitness. Maybe they were kicked off the football team. They never got picked. So they're like, fuck those guys, fuck sports, fuck conventional training. I'm going to do this CrossFit thing because everybody's like me. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really weird. I, I, I haven't really researched that psychological part of it, the mental health issues around that. But certainly it's probably not difficult to, to create something like that and just pump people with it and you know get a following now i don't think any of us all four of us here are in it for that reason we're in it for like getting results and doing the right thing well, that, uh, i think that there's uh two distinct markets like i mean i think we're into it for like the the performance aspect like how far can we push human performance and then there's the there, there's yeah. the hero worship cult worship where i think people are doing it more as a defining factor of who they are and this is how i identify themselves and see something easier to do um, yeah, like I'm, I, I don't define myself by like, uh, you know, I am my workout like, but that's, I think what people have led into and, um, I, you know, and then all of a sudden you end up in quarantine and can't go to your gym and fuck, then what do you do? You know, who's your, or, or like, let's say CrossFit goes bankrupt and all of a sudden there is no CrossFit games. There are no more gyms. It just kind of goes by the wayside. Then you have this whole like group of, you know, 20 something people that have fucking set their bodies on the altar of, you know, uh, glycolytic capacity and what happens to those individuals. Yeah. Like this whole idea of group fitness and like community and, you know, you know, having somebody else's sweat spray on you while you're doing your, you know, 30 clean and jerks. Um, you know, that's really going to change now, isn't sure. it? Like, I don't, I don't know how, um, how they're thinking of that. Like, you, obviously, you can do it virtually by Zoom and all that, but it's not the same. So how do you get those people back into the gym and, and in that close proximity? Like, it's going to be really interesting because 
you know, I just read an article about how there's going to be a second wave and, yeah. you know, it may, may take a couple of these before we actually get back and re-eradicate this thing or get a vaccine. So, well, that was in 2018, uh, sorry, uh, 1918, like they had the, yeah. like the first wave and I'm sure you read the same thing I did was yeah. uh, like, you know, two or three million people, which is a significant amount of individuals at that time in the world uh, ended up passing away. And then they, you know, went through all this and then the second wave came back and got like 25 to 30 million. So that was yeah, the big, yeah. you know, thing that they're worried about is this, you know, we've flattened it, we've done this, and we go back to our lives, and then the second deal, which I think at that point, you just have to kind of pray for the herd immunity, which isn't a very good prayer. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm sure you guys are doing this, too. Like, everything that I was reading, uh, or sorry, I was listening to these podcasts, this uh, Geek GeekWire, and they're a Seattle-based podcast, and they're talking about how the technology companies are kind of weathering this, right, because they're built for it, you know, the everything from Microsoft to Amazon and they're all doing very well right now. And so is that where we have to go? And I'm sure you guys are, are technically or technology centric and, and looking at platforms for doing things by distance and technology. And, and it doesn't matter, you know, people are thinking, well, two more months, we'll be out of this and we're back to normal. No, no, we're never going back to normal. Sure. I don't care what you say over the next 10 years, it's going to be a hybrid of what we're doing right now and, and what we did in the past. But I mean, are you guys thinking about that? Uh, well, what I'm curious of going into that point is phase, phase one business um, reopenings include gyms. So they made the phase one list, fitness centers and gyms here in the States. Yeah. Which is yeah, kind and of, tat- massage parlors, tattoo parlors. Like what? Yeah, it's kind of bizarre, right? Like those seem to be. I just got out of quarantine. Hybrid. You know what I need? I need a good pump and a tattoo. I want to go sneeze on this barbell and let another person curl it. <laughs> those are just the expendables. I think we're like, okay, who do we want to get rid of? <laughs> yeah, they're like gym rats that get tattoos and go to massage parlors to get jerked off. Let's get rid of those assholes first. The Trinity. Uh, you mean Saturday? I mean, you get a pump. <laughs> and then you get tatted and you get another pump. Yeah, the double pump. You know what I'm saying? Uh, dude, pump and pour. I, I, uh, <laughs> pump, tat, and pump. I like that's kind of an interesting thought. Like I, I was thinking like, okay, let's say let's say you go to a Gold's gym and and um, you know even though we don't have go to Gold's gym anymore, but like you roll in there and it's like, so I would assume that there'll be a certain level of cleanliness. Like uh, everybody's got to wipe their equipment down or people all wearing masks. But then people are still sweating on things. And I just saw I, and whether or not this is fake news or not, I hope it is. Let's just some, take it as real. I know somebody, it's somebody, real. somebody claimed or they're claiming that you can get coronavirus from somebody farting. So uh, the Something. thing the thing I'm laughing Something. about about the mask, I'm like, OK, so if you can get coronavirus through underwear and maybe pants. Yeah. Like is, is this t-shirt that I saw wrapped around the dude's face the other day? Like we, I went out and uh, this dude had wrapped like a t-shirt around his face and like another dude had an ace bandage, a bunch of weird shit. I'm like, well, obviously if the pants aren't keeping the farts in Mm -hmm. and, and I was thinking every time I went to gold's gym, there was always some dude on there on way too many protein shakes. Can we, can we talk about the research for the fart? (laughs) What if it's standard cotton? Something I never even heard of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I dude, it, it's going to add a, a whole different dynamic. And then I wonder how many people are actually going to come back to the gyms. Like what we've seen is the rise of the garage gym. Yeah, and that's people are our... fucking loading their garages full of equipment, parking yeah, their cars the, on the street. The, the Perform Better guys, we did a podcast with them and they're like, we're selling out of everything. Yeah. And it's direct to consumer. It's not to gyms or, you know. Yeah, yeah like the higher, the higher educated or like the, I would say like the people who have been in this space the longest – you know, who go to the gym for maybe the community might be realizing that if they build out their own garage gym, 
they're well, relatively well informed to like manage their own training, perhaps is what they, they'll think. They'll get a couple training partners and they can have exactly what they have at the gym anyways. Cause you go to a class to train like when you're there long enough, you get, you get your three, four, five guys or gals, you go to the same class, you coordinate with them, like just do it in your garage and you, you break even after a year. Yeah. And, um, it's at your, at your convenience. There's no burpee penalty. Um, there's can, a perceived savings on it. And so I'm the folks that fit that mold that I've been talking to, at least in my personal network and even in our professional network here, seem to be receptive to that. But at the same time, too, we have a, a bunch of coaches who are really hustling, our block one coaches are hustling to like ramp up and adapt and do exactly what you were talking about. Um, Derek is like, anticipate and prepare for a hybrid and be able to serve those customers and drive value so that they can still maintain their business, right? And I think that that's a really forward, uh, like a forward thinking approach in the sense that like, let's just adapt. Let's continue to drive value, be valuable for our customers and we're going to lose some people, we're going to gain some people, but um, that's where I see it going. Yeah, like I, right now there's three things I'm focusing on. One is, uh, I, because I work at a PT clinic locally here, is the telehealth like, how is that going to be done? So how are we going to configure that platform? Second one is electrical muscle stimulation, which you guys do. Um, because, hey, that's a great way to do it. It's relatively affordable. Um, you could do it, you know, in your bathroom, wherever you want, in a small space. You can do it standing. In a bathtub with water. Yeah, yeah, with whatever, water, right? With water. Yeah, that's with what water. the toaster, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. You put the toaster. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feed the toaster. Um, <laughs> That's actually a better name. So we should come out with a sprint program <laughs> called Feed the Toaster. Feed the toaster. Kind of sounds sexy. Yeah, it's a it's a very profound sh short term stimulus. Um, <laughs> We're gonna drive adaptation the, maximally. Yeah. So so I have again I have partnerships with like Compex, and then the other one is a manual curve treadmill. So I have a partnership with um, Trueform. And the whole idea is like, let's outfit people, let's do virtual sessions, right? Whether it's education or whether it's just live, you know, getting people to train and let's just keep doing this. Like, I don't care what happens after six months. We're going to keep pushing this because there's going to be people who are like, yeah, I like this. I don't want to commute to the gym. I don't want to commute for my rehab. I can do this at home. And so even the pro teams, I got to jump on a call later. It's like, why don't you outfit your players? Like yeah. the NFL is supposed to have like 1500 bucks per player. So I sent it out to 12 teams like, why don't you guys buy these muscle stims, right? Um, and some of them are like, hey, that's a good idea. And some of them are like, ah, whatever. Um, so whatever, like, let's let's try to drive this because if there is a second wave, if, you know, somebody, you know, has sex with a chicken in Shanghai, whatever, it's going to happen again. So, um, you know, th this is going to be the end of it, right? So everybody's in that that headspace. So let's let's do this now. Do you, um, um, we have a true form and do they've been great partners for us. I mean, sponsored our symposium and uh, those guys are awesome. Um, yeah. I remember the first time when they brought it in and demoed it as they were running, I realized pretty quickly that like, um, and at least what I told them, I'm like, you know, you guys are kind of putting this as a treadmill, but I think it's more like a speed trainer because it teaches you yeah. the position as you kind of get up on the curve. I was like, dude, like it's hard to run poorly on this thing if you understand how to do it. And when they asked me, they're like, well, what do you see? I'm like, the fact that you have people running 5Ks on this thing blow my fucking mind. But like being able to use this as a speed trainer where we would uh, be able to coach people's technique and then they would step off and then we'd get them to sprint was like this fucking world, like mind explosion for people. And, I, and when I said to those guys, I'm like, 
I don't know if you can market it like this because there's probably only like three people thinking like this, but I was like, dude, this actually teaches people how to sprint better. And then all of a sudden I can take them from the treadmill actually to the ground and it ends up being really beneficial. Yeah, there's a great transfer effect. And like you, you said, sprint for six seconds and then go to a run. And everybody's like, wow, my knees are just coming up. Yeah. I can get front side really easily, right? So yeah, every every interaction I've had with uh, Jeff Vernon there yep. has been like, let's push. Because they're pushing kind of Spartan race and CrossFit and whatever. Okay, great, do that. But I'm going to push it as like a sprint interval, tempo interval type yep. device. And we even I even incline it a bit more so that you can get further up that curve, yep. right? And it's been really successful. Um, and I, I shot some video yesterday with my kids on it and, and just showing from a development point of view, if I can get them into right position, get them front side, that's going to transfer, right? So a lot of my clients now are, are using their device and, and we're formulating sort of home-based programs around sprint training and yeah, you, you, you're, you're, you're spot on. Yeah, no, I, I like, I, I remember Jeff showed up in his, uh, like, you know, with a truck and a trailer unloaded this thing and we were running on it. And the only comment I had was as I got forward, cause I'm six, six, my knee started to hit it and he's like, yeah, he, and, and he, uh, he's my height and he's like, my knees have never hit. And I was like, well, let's see you run. And he was, yeah, were you in the NFL? Well, no, <laughs> but he was real, like kind of upright yeah, when endurance. he was doing it. Yeah. yeah. Like an endurance. And as I was getting like a big forward lean and kind of driving through and he's like, Oh, and I'm like, that's a position. And it was, it, yeah. it was cool. And, uh, so they modified the rail, yeah. like after yeah. probably you talked to him and I talked to him, I'm like that we're keep, cause their arms would yeah. come in too. Yeah. Yeah. Want to open up the arms. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah so, so thank goodness they modified the rail. Oh yeah. Well, he almost freaked out when I drove my knee square into it and almost fell like and fucking killed yeah. myself. And he was like, Oh God, I'm like, dude, this is terrible. You got to modify these things. Derek, how are you elevating it? You just sliding like rubber mats under the front. front yeah. Legs? Plates. Yeah, plates. Like, yeah. 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 Cause when, and it depends. It depends on the ability of the sprinter. If they're like a really high-end sprinter, I got to elevate it more. Interesting. Right? Because it, they can only, like you said, if, if they go further up that curve too much, then they're hitting the rail, the, the guardrail, right, or whatever, the handrail. So that if you incline it, now the curve starts a little quicker, right? That's super smart. And starts. Yeah, I did, so, didn't even think uh, of that. So, I, yeah, I even said, like, well, you should have a lever where you just kind of can adjust the height. And so he, he still fight me on some shit, but yeah, because yeah, um, that's that would affect. Well, he wears he does wear five fingers shoes those around. Dude, he he like walked in and I was like, I can't take you seriously. I'm like Jeff, uh, everything you're saying is fine, other than you're rocking five fingers, and it just makes me want to stomp. Either on that the- or he's got work boots on. Like that's the only <laughs> thing I've seen. Yeah. Work boots are like. <laughs> Full support or no support. <laughs> yeah, so Derek, when we, because we did have ours elevated for a little bit, and it was to stay off of that handrail because we yeah. have a short handrail because it does let, like, it changes the curve and you can kind of get more. Are you changing, like, what are you changing in that in that space? It, you just, is it's it just like, so if it, if it curves like this, yeah. if you incline it, now it, you know, curves like this, curves right? It just changes the pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know. Uh, in terms of have you guys ever tried it without if you take the handrail off it feels even better Mm -hmm. now you just have to have if you can run well and you have confidence and you like i don't even care about the display because the problem with the display is everybody starts looking down and then they rotate forward so i said could you have a heads-up display where you like stick your phone on the wall so we're talking about that Mm -hmm. too but if you took the handrails off um and you weren't worried about liability it works really well because like tim montgomery has a couple and he was running on them uh, without the handrails. I like my true forms and, like I like my scissor lifts. 
with no handrails. Oh, well, the, um, <laughs> it, it, it also goes back to my other thing. Like, uh, I've never seen anybody sprint uphill poorly. So like when they're doing hill runs, yeah. like that was another, you know, revelation when, uh, you know, trying to teach people how to sprint or even sprinting myself, like seeing guys that usually ran poor or didn't run well, watching them run uphill. I was like, man, it's actually livable. So I, I thought that they kind of fit within that same vein. If you can get somebody up on the curb enough and, you know, teach them to get their knees up and punch and hammer and, you know, go against Dr. Romanoff's deal where you don't need arm swing. It just naturally happens. <laughs> I've, I've, I've found two, two different arguments and conversations that I've had with Jeff. The first is with the CrossFit market, right, and using your arms and the value within the arm swing. And I know, Derek, you can speak to arm swing mechanic value. And the other was college strength coaches at the NSCA College Coaches Conference and the CSCCA, Trueform has booths, and they want to speak and try to get their product into a college weight room. But then you see the other weight room booths, and they're spread out with people. They're having deadlift competitions, and you get these big, <laughs> fat guys. But they And then Jeff is like, man, we need a speed competition. We need something. And he always is, is trying to, like... Just come up with ideas. To it's get people hard over. to sprint when you have a shaved head and a goatee, and a, and a gut. But <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's in a performance polo. He's still trying to crack that appeal to show the value of this tool in teaching speed to the coaches that don't necessarily have the skill set to teach speed yet. No, I, I, dude, I love it. I'm sold. Like um, my daughters and my wife, you know, we uh, obviously train here at our gym, and I watch my little girls run on it, and like. They figured it out instantly. They were like, well, if I get farther up, it goes faster and it's more fun because I can move my legs faster. And I'm like, you just solved the fucking riddle of the Sphinx. Like the faster. Yeah, because she, has, she hasn't been like <laughs> I know, uh, I know. infected by everybody else, right? Or, you know, the, the, the high school coaches and all that. Oh, right? no. And I tell them, I'm like, hey, just try to get as far up on there and, and move your legs as fast as you can. And like, and then uh, like all of a sudden, if they don't get their knees up, they're kind of like, I will catch a foot. And if they fall, they're fine. Uh, and then I'm like, well, you got to uh, get yeah, your cash. Knees up. Cash, John's four-year-old ate it yesterday or a couple of days ago, and I was, I don't know, it was pretty funny. Yeah, he's got to walk away, like, like, because what they do is they fall and then they look around to see up. who's looking at them, and if like somebody goes, oh, this, then they start to cry. But if they just fucking be like, you're fine, everything's good, it's totally normal, everybody falls down. They just kind of get up, brush themselves off, and go on with their life. It's a secret of parenting, and you can always tell who who has like uh, parents that have kids versus other parents because a kid will wipe out and the parent will like just look the other way, and then other people will like run over, and I'll be like, whoa, 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 don't touch the fuck kid leave him alone he'll be fine take them out yeah <laughs> yeah he'll be fine but yeah my, my daughters were hilarious they're like if i get up farther on it my legs have to move faster and it's more fun i'm like running fast is fun it's easy yeah and there's like upper body transfer right in terms of your lifting and all that so if you can convince people like hey if you run fast and it's high intensity i bet your weights are going to improve too right lower and upper body and it it's just very difficult for people to go there because they don't have the same experience as we do. So I think you have to kind of keep pushing the agenda around that. You you have to take a bit of a CrossFit marketing approach to this stuff and say like, Hey, you know, this is the, you know, this is the curved treadmill cult, right? You know, if you want me to put a baby tiger in front of you that you run after, great. But you I know, have not I, watched I, this tiger King thing. Oh, you got no, it, man. It's just, I, I'm, I'm not it, like it, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it just what happens. And, and I know it's, um, as a Canadian, uh, you know, because my mom's from Vancouver, 
uh, there's like, and then all my cousins, like there's this humor and like almost like look down your nose a little bit about of Americans. Like, and, <laughs> and, and, and like, as soon as you said, it, I'm like fucking typical Canadian being like, Oh, you know, this is how Good all these Americans, American yeah, they, they were like, <laughs> we knew that there was weird Americans with tigers and this just goes to prove it. That is pretty. Funny. And, uh, yeah. So it's, uh, like I, I, I can't give in. I, I just fucking, Derek, is it true? Um, I just like, you know, again, I, 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 like I live a pretty straight laced conservative, like, and then when you see something this crazy, you're like, oh yeah, like it's, it's, it's escapism, right? It's just really, it's yeah. And, and it's, and there's a dark sort of undertone to it. Like it's really dark, but then it's really funny. And so I kind of like that, you know, I'm, you know, I, I don't like conventional comedy or, you know, like, uh, like I went. Says the guy sitting in Seinfeld's uh, apartment. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I wouldn't yeah, even yeah. consider Seinfeld and Larry David stuff conventional uh, Dude, comedy. it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's not. Because here, here's the funny what? thing. If you were to show Seinfeld to probably like millennial, like 20-something kids now, I don't think they would think any of it's funny. No. It's an interesting thought. I never, you know, like. Uh, I still think Curb Your Enthusiasm is oh, hilarious, oh, but yeah. my wife will not watch fucking, it. It drives her nuts. Fucking genius. It's, Curb Your Enthusiasm <laughs> was probably some of the best written TV out still there. Still is. This yeah. latest season, unbelievable. I'm only like four reps in. I should catch up on that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, yeah, but even the Seinfeld stuff, and I know this because we, uh, I watched some Seinfeld, my daughters are eight, so we watched some Seinfeld reruns, and they were like, I'm dying. And they're like, this isn't funny. This isn't even, oh, I don't wow. even know what's going on here. They're just in the apartment. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let's, let's, I, what I'll do is I'll put a true form back there. And, and beside <laughs> the kitchen. Yeah. We'll get Jeff running on it in a video, right? At GIF. Uh, it will do the best is he's always rocking. Like every time I see him, it's five fingers and then like MMA shorts. Yep. And I'm or, like, or cargo shorts and then like a uh, t-shirt and then the sun hat. And he's like, it's day two of the CrossFit Games, and he's brought in a, co- a pony keg. Let's go. Yeah, we saw him. He's definitely a party starter. Oh yeah, yeah. he is. I mean, at uh, at um, Connor's great, uh, Nagel's great. At yeah. Summer Strong, uh, I ended up. It was like me, uh, Jeff, and Gunner, uh, and like they had bought like I, I don't know where he showed up, but like they had like this huge bottle of like of. Uh, of a bourbon it was like a liter thing and i'm like oh god and they're like filling these i'm like i'm not this good of a drinker to be like i i I might be a big dude but i'm not a good drinker like don't overestimate my ability you're fucking pouring me a water glass of bourbon yeah it was ugly (laughs) and apparently he likes kite surfing like he's a big because i have a friend down in the dominican and they hooked up right and they're kite surfing i'm like i would love to see video of him kite surfing you know, uh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, no, it sounds fucking great. Uh, <laughs> have you ever, have you ever seen people do kite surfing? So, so you're basically like on a surfboard, you have a kites pulling you the wind and then they go into the waves and fucking catch like 30 feet of air and then come back down. It's like, I, I, I've watched people do it in like Acapulco and Mexico and I'm like, holy shit, dude, this is crazy. That, that's my next zoom background is Jeff taking that wave with the kite surfer and, you know. I'll ask him for a photo. He's probably got a photo. Oh, yeah, no, he'll text you within like 30 seconds. Oh, yeah, no. Which one do you want? You're like, oh. But, yeah, I, I think uh, even for teams and NBA, NFL, whatever, like, I mean, you now you have to consider what is their at-home setup for each of your top, at least your top players, your starters or whatever, because right now, like, I knew that some teams are like, well, we're going to send out a band and a foam roller. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what are you prepping them for, right? 
So uh, well, there's got to so be some me, thought Let me ask you this. Uh, Dude, me, uh, most guys have, not to get you off, uh, but most guys have weights at their house like I did. Like I had a, uh, I had like a, an, an Aerodyne air bike and I had weights. I mean, like I didn't have like a fucking setup like I have today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I, I definitely had like, I had some dumbbells. I had a bunch of stuff. So um, the only reason I didn't have more was that that stuff is extremely hard to move. If you like, you yeah. know, like once I actually was somewhere like here, like I was like, fucking let's build a gym. But I think a lot of guys that are like kind of in a more permanent state, like mm-hmm. they fucking have pretty epic gyms. I know Jared Allen had a badass gym, and I know Tony did, and like most of the guys had it. So, Derek, if you were to put a memo out to the teams you're working with, and you're like, "Here is your good, better, best equipment list for the new at-home protocol that you're going to be putting out," what would that consist of? And before you get to that, though, I do want to take a quick break. So we can get a little word from our sponsors. That little ditty and the sound of my smooth, sensual, yet strong voice means you're about halfway through our chat and you've earned yourself a little brain break brought to you by our friends at Train Heroic. And I know you're like, Callie, your voice is smooth, sensual, yet strong, but what does that have to do with Train Heroic? And the answer is, it doesn't. But here's why we at Power Athlete think it's important that you're aware of what Train Heroic is capable of. Their whole jam is to empower you to train without limits. Sound familiar? That means that you can take your little gym business or side hustle and absolutely blow the fucking doors off of it. Their immersive training solutions allow you to train athletes from New York to Nicaragua. And FYI, if you consult a map, those places are really far from each other. Gym space is not an issue. Distance, not an issue. And scheduling, well, we already know that time is an illusion, but it's even more illusion-y with Train Heroic. With Train Heroic, you can provide an engaging, flexible, and affordable training experience for your people wherever they are on this flat earth. They provide everything you need to look like a pro, even if you're a complete Luke Summers, and transition into this brave new world of online training. The best part is that they give you a fortnight of free usage. That's two weeks for anyone not born in the 1700s. And when that wraps up, you can keep the party going for the price of a Chipotle burrito. But wait, there's more. A burrito without guac. And you pay only as your business gains grow. The whole crew uses Train Heroic and has done so for years. There's a reason we are taking the time to mention it, and it's not because they promised us a party barge or a suitcase full of collectible beanie babies, uh, baby tigers, or anything else that you deem to be extremely valuable. It's simply because we like them, we use them, and we believe in what they can do for your business and your athletes. Power Athlete has grown by 50% for the last four years because of Train Heroic. And in the words of one of my old coaches, you can't argue with results. Head over to trainheroic.com, click on the free trial button in the upper right-hand corner, and get started today. Now back to the show. (laughs) Well, I would just buy everything that your sponsor is providing. No, sorry. Um... Well, the weird part is it's a flashlight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's on the list. Yeah, it's on the list. I don't know why there's a you know weird thing that you put your wiener in. Yeah, good, better, best, oh, must you, have. You mean a toaster? Is that what feed the toaster Feed the toaster is, is yeah. <laughs> well, like, okay, so uh, you would obviously need, like, weights. You know, like, let's say some barbell stuff. I mean, I'll tell you, uh, the one piece of equipment that, like, 
I consider essential now is some form of like belt squat. I love like that West side one or like, you know, I'll even take the pitch arc, but like, I think some stuff like that is really good. Like GHD and you kind of go through some of the stuff and having a rack to be able to do multiple things. I mean, it's kind of seems like that's like the minimum now. Yeah. I, I, you know, again, I keep it pretty simple. Like, you know, do I need a platform? Do I need a leak away? It's like, no, like, I mean, you need to pull something, you need to squat something, you need to press something. So I don't think it has to be, complicated but i do like like even for me like i'm like i if you see here i have a cage and i have a platform and all that i have all the weights but uh i got away from it right because i'm getting older i'm 50 now i'm like shit i don't want to front squat this or whatever um and then now my son is 15 and he's training for football and so during this period i'm lifting with him and i'm starting like of course my body was destroyed after the first week i couldn't walk but I'm finding that things are starting to improve posturally just from having that load on me. So there's something about having a general load with the weights. And it's, I, you know, Charlie was always big on like weights are not specific. It's a general thing, right? It's a general stimulus. And I, I firmly believe that now having gone through this iteration, I took it for granted before, but now I'm doing the weights and everything else is improving. So there's a synergy between that, the barbell approach and certainly the elastic and speed approach. And so maybe that's what you you surround yourself with is you have a very basic loading program, progressive loading program. Uh, maybe it's just a maintenance program for the NFL guys who've been around a while. They don't have to necessarily improve, but they have to have that. If they don't, there's going to be problems. Just like, you know, again, if you don't have the conditioning piece and you, you don't work that enough, there's going to be problems. So you have to have all these elements in. If you have to sprint, you know, if you can find 10 yards, to do outside in your yard or in the front sidewalk up a hill, especially if you're going to be on concrete because, you know, dampens the, the impact. Great. So a short sprint area, some sort of barbell loading, um, you know, and then if you can put in that true form uh, or you have electrical stimulation to kind of bolster some of these pieces, like say if you're in a, a smaller apartment or condo and you can't go run outside and, you're, you're in Manhattan, then you want that indoor piece of equipment to get your stuff done. So I think it's, but again, it goes back to like, as a team, what was your philosophy in your facility? Was it just all Olympic lifting? Was it all, you know, was it machines? And then when they go back and they're at their home, if they don't understand the philosophy we're talking about, how do you get them to shift in mid stride and go like, okay, well, we need you to sprint and do this now. So you have to kind of build that within your organization and, and have a culture around how we prepare. And then it's easy to do the, the at-home piece once no, you figure I, that out. I, well, so, I mean, a lot of these guys as professional athletes have available income and it's a tax write-off to be able to buy all this equipment. Yeah. So uh, like what I would do yeah. if, if it was me running a team, I would reach out to the guys and say, hey, we've contacted you know Trueform, Sornex, these other guys. Here's the equipment package that we're recommending that'll fit within the kind of program. Like the group buy or whatever. Yeah. See if you can that that like you know and that way uh it, it'll come in your team's colors and you know or, or whatever you want and then you just basically you know and then here's the program that your coach is going to do and uh maybe it's a couple days a week you zoom with your strength coach um you know but then you also think um at least what i ran into was when i trained in the off season i had to have training partners that were strong enough to train so that was like a, a big thing so we ended up training yep. in groups so and most guys live in pretty close proximity or unless you get your wife to do it or whatever but you know you're going to have to go in there and bang heavy weights and you're going to have it available in some space and um i i really couldn't if there was an nfl dude who was like i don't have the space or the ability to do this i would be very very surprised 
But I mean, I, I also played with guys that didn't really lift weights, which is another one when people like in, in, you know, NFL strength coaches get up and they talk about their programs and how great it is. And you're like, dude, I played with dudes that didn't even lift weights. This is fucking bullshit. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think you have to navigate all those possibilities and, and, and have alternatives for those guys because you're never really going to get them on board. And if you push too hard, you're going to lose them. So, and especially like I talked to some NBA teams about this too, and that's probably a more difficult scenario. Like there's guys who don't want to do anything during this layoff. And then they're saying, well, we may come back to some sort of accelerated playoffs oh, scenario. And it's like, Oh shit, let's, you know, we'll see what happens there. So I, yeah, you, you really have to do it on a per individual basis. But like you said, if you had some nice, uh, relationships with some of these equipment companies, I'm sure they would give you a great deal, especially if you showed videos and pics of your guys sure. doing it at home with their equipment. So there's certainly a there's certainly a, a, a way to get this done properly, and maybe that's what happens moving forward. I, I think there's been some people that have moved really fast on this, some organizations, and there's some organizations who are doing nothing. So this is the moment of truth for a lot of you know, and I, I'm hoping the administration and the front office is kind of looking at how this is going and maybe making some decisions on how they move forward with, with their staff and, and the approach. Cause you know, everybody's well, gotta be uh, agile. Now, like I so. kept wondering, like how does the landscape of football, you know, I mean, you think about like the players, like how do you guarantee player safety in this? And when then you think about the fans in the stands, like, uh, like what are they going to do? Play football games and free, you know, you know, make sure all the players are tested. And then, they, they, you know, so then you take what a coronavirus test and you can go out on the field and then the, the stands are empty and people are watching it at homes. You hear what uh, Dana White was joking about UFC Island. Yeah. Fight Island. Yeah. What, why doesn't the NFL just go buy a car? Uh, I'm pretty sure Dana White bought an Island so he can be his own country. Yeah. Shouldn't, couldn't the NFL just, isn't that the plot of money? blood sport? I thought, I thought that was Dr. Evil. Wasn't that Austin <laughs> Powers had his own island? So Dana I'm White's sure Austin it's not Powers. the first evil person. Yeah, I'm, I'm, Bald I'm sure, evil person. I'm sure there's multiple Dana White, <laughs> Dr. Evil. Yeah. Evil. I'm surprised the XFL uh, didn't jump on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Some sort of isolate. I, I don't know. Like the, the NBA was talking about like Vegas. That's where everybody lives and they just play it in Vegas. Right. So I, I have no idea. But then the, the governor of you know, Nevada's doing some crazy stuff too. So I, I th there's going to be some sort of approach to like, okay, we get people back in a training camp. There's got to be this many tests and then you get them back into whatever. There's no preseason, but they, they have a regular season. How's that going to look? Cause it's not going to look like it used to. So who knows? This is uh, so at that point, I mean, like they either have to come out with, so like they, they have to find a vaccine or there, or there's going to have to just be some herd immunity which is a scary thought because a, there are a lot of people aren't going to come out the other side. So I, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that all works, but it's, uh, it's kind of a scary deal. Like, I, I, I think it's, uh, like you hear people like, Oh, you know, this will start to, to flatten once everybody, you know, once people get it and they get it, but then you're in quarantine. So you're like, so are we prolonging this? It's, um, it's a scary deal. Yeah. Cause I, I, I hope they come out with an antibody test that works and that shows who's had it maybe even like two, because I think I had something in February, like I had a flu, uh, I had muscle soreness, I had chills, I had sore throat, I had cough, I didn't have that bad a fever, I had a headache, whatever. Um, and then it was, I don't know, it was like three days in bed, seven to 14 days of recovery. And um, so maybe I had it because they're finding I'm in Vancouver. There's no shortage of exchange of people between us and China, Hong Kong, whatever. 
Um, and then so in Seattle, I think they had cases. Now they're doing the autopsies. They found people who died. Yeah, had it February seventh was the so, earliest uh, earliest person they autopsied. Yeah. So so that means it was you know uh, my wife works in uh, as a high school teacher and she handles all the international students coming from China. So maybe she got it when they came back from Christmas. Get you know she had no symptoms. Passed it on to me. I don't know. But I, I, you know, I think it's probably out there a lot more than people know. And so, you know, maybe the, the fatality numbers aren't as drastic because everybody fucking has it, right? I don't know. Yeah, it is interesting it's, thought. It's crazy. Like, just a thought exercise so. of, okay, if this is the reported, and we, like, there just has to logically be a population of people who are, un, like, asymptomatic, had it, or, like you said, mild symptoms. And I've talked to a dozen yeah. people that I know that have been like, you know, in February, I kind of yeah. got pretty sick. Like, it was not like something I've ever had, but it wasn't terrible. Yeah. I don't know. Right? Um, like, just same thing. My same neighbor, Kathy, uh, in, fe- in December got sick and had something like she, that she thinks. And we, we saw her. I uh, went to their Christmas party. Uh, she gave her a hug. She was around my wife and my kids. And, uh, and so when this thing came out, she's like, I think I had this. And I was like, so I've been on her. I've been like, you need to go get tested if you had antibodies. Mm-hmm. Because if you, as sick as you were and you had antibodies, because... Uh, then I mean, I've got to have antibodies. Yeah. Well, that, and I'm thinking, like, I remember giving you a hug when you were sick and I didn't get anything. So maybe I'm an asymptomatic carrier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how easy... I, I don't know how easy it is for you guys, but I probably can't get a test because I'm, you know, lifting, running, and I'm happy. But can you guys yeah. get a test if you just wanted yeah, to find they out? Have, uh, uh, they have uh, Walgreens. Okay. So uh, you can go to a Walgreens. Uh, drive-thru. Yeah, right? drive-thru. And each Walgreens is allegedly being able to like give three thousand tests a day. I think is what they is what they put it out. So so yeah, you can go over. And, uh, but okay. they have to insert. I want to say it's like a fucking swab in your nose, in through the back of your throat. I thought this is more toaster talk coming. Yeah. Oh, dude, it was to insert your hand in a toaster. <sighs> Feed the toaster. <laughs> so yeah, uh, but they can they can do it. I mean, I, and that's an antibody test or just a. Like COVID, if you have, if you're uh, I th- infected, I think that's for the infection. I don't know if they have an, uh, if it's both or not. I don't know enough. Yeah. If there was some sort of retroactive yeah. test to trace, you know, if you have the antibodies would be good. But the, certainly for, I mean, you know, I'm not a huge fan of like a lot of testing when it comes to physical training. Like you test once in a while, but certainly you got to test a lot for this stuff. And if you bring people back oh, yeah. into a training camp or whatever, you got to, I mean, for liability reasons, I'm, I'm sure the players union is going to have some sort of guidelines yeah, around like, that return I guess as well. If, let's um, say half your team does carry the reported symptoms and it's like a herd infection in the middle of the season. And like, do you forfeit? I mean, you got to forfeit. What right? if the whole team goes down? Yeah, like half the team goes down. Yeah. Nah, they, the NFL yeah. just wheel you out there and get your ass kicked. <laughs> they got to fucking make that money, dude. Uh, Telling up uh, your model dude, for cramps. Uh, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Tape up those ankles. Uh, Everybody dude, will have a face uh, shield. I think it was my first year at the Eagles. They told us that if we didn't get a flu shot, that they would fine us. So I lined up and I got a flu shot. And that was like on like a, I think it was like on a Wednesday or something. <laughs> By Friday, I was so fucking sick. I couldn't like, I could barely get out of bed. And they were like, you still got to come in. So I went into the facility. I still fucking practiced with like 103 fever. And I ended up playing on that Sunday. And, uh. How'd you play? How'd you play? Uh, no, Did I you fucking, do the jerk? I played awful. 
I was I was fucking dehydrated. Yeah, like the age old like Jordan goes out there. No, I didn't score sixty points. But I remember just like thinking like if I can just get through this next series, if I can just get through this next play. And so um and I I hadn't been sick in a long time and they were like, Oh, this is really weird. I'm like, No, you fucking injected me with the fucking flu and, and now I'm sick. And they're like, It's not supposed to work like that. I'm I like know, I know it's how it works. Right? But the <laughs> you and, got the flu, and the flu then the, shot? Uh, no, but sad. My, that's how my grandmother passed away. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, dude. So I, I've gotten sick from that. Shit. So what, John, Derek, have you gotten sick from a flu shot? I think I felt a little off after. I don't know. Yeah, but nothing like. So not, not like John. I asked part. I, I asked Parsley about it, and uh, he said that um, what you don't necessarily get sick from the flu. It's the reaction to your immune system. Yeah. And so he's like, your immune system being pretty strong reacted in a pretty violent way. And then the next year when they were like, hey, everybody's got to get a flu shot, I said, just t- give me the fucking penalty. Like, like, what's the fine for this bullshit? And I told him, fuck you, and uh, got kind of cross because I'm like, dude, the only time I've been sick in recent memory is after you gave me that fucking shot. I'm not doing this this year. And I told him, if I get sick this year after not getting the flu shot, I'll get it in the f- uh, uh, in the subsequent year. I never got sick again and never got a flu shot. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd see dudes go get them, and I'd be like, I bet this fucking guy gets sick. Well, what, I, you, like, I mean, that that leads me to my next question is like, if they come out with a vaccine for coronavirus, are you going to do it? I yeah, hundred percent. So, but like, I'll, I'll fucking do it just uh, just because. First. Yeah, I, I like, I like. My wife didn't like this comment. Like, a look on her face was like, kind of like, what the fuck are you? T-? I'm like, you know what? If I get it and it takes me down, then obviously I'm not strong enough to fucking be here. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that's a fucking terrible thing. What if you died in this? And I'm like. That's what my dad's. I, I, I was like, I like I. Uh, you guys have seen me drive. Like when I get behind the wheel, like everybody fucking life's in their hands. I put two. That's why I on. have life insurance. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Derek? Uh, in terms of taking a, a, a vaccine, the vaccine. Yeah, I, I I guess so. Like I, you know, who knows? Like I assume I would. You know, just even just to show people like I've taken it and. Yeah, uh, I've I've had the flu shot before. I haven't noticed it doing anything amazing for me. So, you know, and then they're talking about because it's a coronavirus, it's like a common cold. And so the vaccine may only work for a short period of time and then you got to do it again. And so I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's going to be a combination of vaccination, herd immunity, you know, some people dying off. You know, I, I don't know. It's it's you know, that's you know, if if. If you know Coach Fauci was on the the Eagles, maybe it would have been better for John there. But um, I just I, I have no idea. What's Fauci like? I I, uh, um, I purposely have unplugged from listening to to any of Trump's press conferences. And that Fauci dude, who um, I heard speak in a few of them, and like I did not fucking buy into any of that dude's shit. Like uh, I just like I think it's because like. It, everybody's being it's not just like here's the science it's sort of there's this manipulation this jockeying between like what's politically good what's good for the economy what's good for you know keeping people safe and so you've got the all these things kind of confounding everything and so we don't really get a straight message from anybody so i i don't know like stay home yeah and like and like blatantly, blatantly <laughs> I, I just think obvious too right You're i like, think that they just, just don't fucking BS. know that too like, that it, too I I posted something on my Instagram that was like, uh, you know, talking about like conspiracy theorists and this idea that they would rather believe that there's some like nefarious plot with some genius pulling the strings because it offers some structure opposed to the truth, which is nobody knows what the fuck is going on and they're just making it up as they go along. And uh, that is more fearful to people than the thought of some like nefarious plot. Right. And uh, I thought that was fucking great. And I'm like, 
So every time I see Trump and like, you know, these guys get up and talking, I'm like, they don't fucking know. I mean, the fact that they recommended that we wear face masks. And then when you pull up all the all the information, it's like, yeah, none of this works. Like even the N95s like only work like two times. And then like, and then, you know, there's a dude tying his T-shirt around his face. And I'm like, fuck, dude, like. Like, this is purely reaction. This is the illusion that you're okay because we're wearing these face masks, well, which have no base. Or that we're, you're able to take action. Like, it's empowering people to do something to get a level it's of It's exactly comfort. like football coaching. Like, you guys have watched some of these shows. You've been, you've been on a football team, and, and you're losing. Yeah, I got lost six, and the coach still comes in and says, okay, well, we're going to work together. And it's like, no, just say you got shitty players. You got a couple of shitty coaches. Like, our plan sucks. <laughs> we don't know where this is going. Like... At least we're getting paid. Like, it's exactly the same thing. Like, the, you're yeah. talking the post-game interview, Dave? Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, when they go in at halftime and they, like, you know, see oh, yeah. addressing did, the team and, like. Did you watch the Texans press conference after the Chiefs lost or something? Because it sounds exactly familiar. Yeah. Uh, that fucking coach, every time I uh, see him interviewed, it's absolutely fucking awful. Like, he, like, like just a rudderless ship. And I'll tell you, because I know you're a Texan fan, I fucking enjoy it. <laughs> That's the whole reason. I'm yeah. like, God, I, I hope the Texans are fucking don't win a game ever again. My friends feel the same way. They just love to shit on a, the team. But they're still ah. doing pretty good. So it's weird. Like, you got to, you got, I mean, would you rather be the Cleveland Browns? Or I don't know. It's really weird. Like, if you're almost there, like, certainly just a small shift this way or that way could be the difference. So it's very, I, I don't know. Well, well, the difference is really in just uh, in the uh, the ownership and the money spent. So, uh, what you see, like in a place like Houston, I believe their owner uh, wants to have a successful team. He just hasn't assembled the right people. Whereas Cincinnati and those teams like Cleveland, I don't think they want to fucking win because uh, that would force them to have to go, you know, spend money to actually upgrade and be not a fucking shitty team. Cincinnati is one hundred percent like. Are we making money? Great. Uh, we don't care what wins and losses are. We're just into into the the money of it. And then you get guys that are like, you know, Kraft or Jeffrey Lurie, and these guys that are like, I have money. I want a fucking Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't know the Cleveland or Cincy situation, but now the Texans' owner passed away last season, so it's his son as the the CEO. It, it's not Bud Adams, is it? No, Bud Adams took the Oilers That's to right. Tennessee. That's right. Unfortunately. That's right. But no, McNair is the name. Yeah. So is uh, is every NFL team making money from one down to thirty two? Like, are they all financially? Yeah, dwelling? for the for the most part. I mean, they're printing money, but I know that there are certain teams that that make dramatically more than others. Okay. And, and I know that they uh, it's a it's kind of a socialist deal. Like they have a pool of money that they put in, and they're all like kind of uh, members on this board. But um, they have. And this is the interesting thing with the NFL because uh, they don't really open their books very often. And the only time the books ever got up, um, opened was when Al Davis sued, uh, I think it was the state of California, and it became public record. And it was pretty interesting that to see the Raiders books and to see how they were making money. Mm. I mean, they were taking fucking – they were taking money from the dude selling hot dogs at parking and this. I mean, they had scams on top of scams. And, um, you know, they make uh, a lot of money, but I think that there's an idea that, like, are you managing this like a business? You know, are we making a profit? And then there's other people like Jerry Jones and these guys that are like, I have money. I'll fucking spend every dollar to win and, and to be the best. And uh, I don't think that those guys are necessarily nervous about turning a profit. And they're not, I'm sure they're not making decisions based on, like, well, you know, if we lose money this year, I mean, Jerry Jones to me is like, uh, and Robert Kraft in the same deal, like, I'll throw as much money as this thing. I just want to fucking win. Yeah. Isn't being successful profitable, though? 
Yes. But like, is there like an interesting like no man's land in the middle where you're spending? Well, think about, could you really, I mean, but uh, I guess the idea is, could you take a team like Cincinnati and make a successful team because you're in Cincinnati? And my thing is, yeah, because look at Green Bay, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. If you've ever been to fucking Green Bay, there's nothing there other than like rabid Green Bay fans. Mm -hmm. And it just, I mean, like, I don't know if you've been to, to Lambeau Field, but like literally you're driving up and there's like little World War II houses like all around and these people are like this is like the greatest moment of their life is mm-hmm. the you know when the Green Bay Packers are playing and um, I, I just think like the the guys that I know that have played at those teams the common is like the level of cheapness is something like you've never seen I'm like what they're like um, you know like Raiders in Cleveland and stuff like yeah, that yeah like the Raiders not so much but like Cleveland Cincinnati okay. some of those teams yeah Cincinnati getting shit on again second time today at Power Athlete Cincinnati took a beating this morning Derek on our uh, Instagram live story. Why, why were we ripping on Cincinnati? Oh, we were talking about the draft. I got a, yeah. I got a Cincinnati story, too. <laughs> I, I feel so bad. Like, I, I keep hoping, because I, I really like Joe Burrow. I think he's, uh, uh, like, everything I've seen with his interviews and whatnot, like, he seems like a legit kid, and I want him to have good success. And, what the, and I'm keep hoping that somebody will just trade the fucking farm to get that first pick and take him. And he doesn't end that up in Cincinnati. That night will be interesting, eh? You guys going to watch? I will, yeah. Yeah. Despite the non first round pick for Houston. I think I'll tune in <laughs> just to like see how this whole thing's going to go. Well, out. it's going to be, uh, well, I just find, I hope there's a way that they're able to pipe the booze in on Goodell because it's my favorite part is when, the, is when he gets up there <laughs> and every, hacks it. They like, fucking boo him. Like every, anonymous hacks the feed and does a sound. Dude, when he gets up there, like the minute he fucking walks up to the podium, the booze echo out, and, and you can't understand anything it says. And I think it's the best. I wonder that if people Barstool, hate him. Like, could Barstool coordinate like a you know how a hack? Well, how at like seven p.m. people will go out and applaud first responders and essential workers during the, the quarantine. If when Goodell comes a out, national a national walk out your door and boo at Goodell. Well, think about <laughs> think about where like is he at his house? Where is he? And then what they need to do is pay all the neighbors to just go outside and boo at what's <laughs> happening. And then they'd be like, God damn it, they followed me to my ivory tower and they're yeah. still booing me. Yeah. Well, if he was a real sport, where if he was at his house, I would I would actually get my fa- family to boo me during that just, just to be like... <laughs> be fucking great. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, yeah, he... Fucking, dude, that's my favorite part of the draft is them booing Goodell. So what's the Cincinnati story? Uh, well, just, you know, there was the, whoever was the strength coach there kept bugging me like, Oh, can, you know, can you help me with this, this, and this? And I'm like, well, you know, this is kind of my rate and this is how I do it. And he's like, well, you know, I thought we're friends and all. And it's like, I don't, you know, I kind of know how much every strength coach makes in the NFL. It's like, you know, it's not that expensive to jump on a call with me. And, and just, it was just so persistent. And I'm like, what the hell's going on in Cincinnati? Right. So it's like, like you said, maybe there's just a mentality around the spending and, Penny pension. Oh, dude, it's crazy. I remember uh, some of the guys I know, um, like, uh, you know, you throw your stuff in a, in a bag and then they wash it, comes back, and he was missing his socks. So he went up there and he was like, hey, can I get some socks? And the guy was like, where are your socks? He's like, they weren't in the bag. And the guy was like, huh. So he brought him out like a, a sheet and he had to sign for like 20 bucks for the socks. They're like, <laughs> give him one pair of socks. So they fucking charged him for the socks. And he's like, I don't even like these fucking socks. You're making us wear them and you charged them. So they were, ch- so they would go through and inventory their shit. And then it was funny because he's like, I put the fucking socks in there and they weren't in there. So either somebody stole my socks or they fucking took them and are selling them back to me. So <laughs> at, the end of the, at the end of the year, they get a fucking bill and they, they were deducting like random shit out of their checks. Sockgate. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> that's just, 
Just. You're like you're nickel and diming your players for fucking garbage. socks that you're getting for free. Hot garbage. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, the worst. I always felt bad for the dudes when I see them go Cincinnati. I'm like, ah, Cleveland was really shitty too. But um, well, they got a little momentum this yeah. year, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They got uh, what's it, Baker Mayfield? Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess because that's where Bo and Lou were living for the or last couple, one of the last two seasons. And they said it was actually pretty cool to see them start to turn the corner and like the city really. Like came to life, dude. Um, a little bit like those windows of success. So when uh, um, I went out to the Hall of Fame de- induction for Tony Gonzalez, I, I really hadn't only been to uh, to Cleveland as like a player, so I hadn't really hung out. You know, you fly in, you might go to dinner, and then let you fly out. Uh, but we got there, and like Cincinnati is actually, or sorry, Cleveland. We've been shitting on Cincinnati all day. Uh, <laughs> Cleveland. Uh, like we went to the steakhouse and walked over and like they have this bitch in like uh, a baseball stadium that is like dug into the ground. So like the top of the deal is level with the with the uh, the street. We like walked in and it was like five uh, a five beer night where, you know, if you buy one beer, you get four free kind of a shit. And like these dudes have like all these beers. So my brother and my nephew, like uh, I was a little late. They just went went and just bought tickets and just sat down there and they were like, We've never seen beer. Like we were like, is this like free beer night? And they're like, no, you buy one, get four free. And uh, like hot, like he, like, it looked like a fucking street party. And then we walked around, we went to some restaurants. I'm like, dude, Cleveland is actually a pretty cool town. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of surprised. Like it just, maybe it's just the stink of the organization for being that bad for so long, but I'd love to see them be successful. Well, they got the Cavaliers. <laughs> That's now or <laughs> 2004. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Cavs haven't been good in a while. Had. They still, well, I guess that's what the, all they got right now is having that. But, oh, that, yeah, that championship. Mm-hmm. But um, are you watching The Last Dance, Derek? No. You, I, I haven't had a chance to watch that. How is that? It's pretty. Very well done. I, yeah. Yeah. That was like Tex and I have talked about it a little bit. And man, that, that was the era of basketball that I was pulled into. And then like, walked away from and I haven't really been back to NBA since then since like that that era of the Chicago Bulls I grew up in Chicago though so like obviously oh, nice. that really really sucked me in for that double three peat but hey, oh, um, there you go Derek um, has your philosophy and like in terms of like strength training changed different than Charlie's stuff I mean has it kind of evolved over the years yeah, I would think there's a there's a structure there that I follow but certainly within different elements like I'm kind of trying some different things and maybe expounding a little bit on some of the things that he started with so um but that's just like you know I'm sure it's the same with you guys like you have some influences and then you kind of push in this direction a little bit differently and and you still get results or you find it just works better for you so I think I don't think anybody should be following something by rote and just going like okay that's my system and I'm just I'm not going to change anything everybody's going to evolve right based on the scenario you're presented with like you know what would charlie francis do during a quarantine right so you kind of think about that but then you know some things just don't work smoke cigarettes yeah i was telling somebody about that i'm like holy shit like you know back then he was pounding the cigarettes and the the diet coke what was was he like a two two pack a day guy i i assume so because um there was just sort of a, a way about him, right? Like he was very, um, like I almost define him as on the spectrum, like in terms of just like his mannerisms and the way he spoke and all that and how we would just go off on tangents and, 
and sometimes you'd be with them and sometimes you wouldn't you'd be like what the, what's he talking about but but certainly the cigarettes were part of that like it you could it was almost like a bit of a symphony between how he spoke and how he moved around and at least that's what i remember from like 1986 when i was like 17 and i was watching him and even then i was fascinated like this guy's on a different level um so you know and i think a lot of people have misinterpreted like that stuff like the way he would talk and the way he would even interact with people is like you know he was arrogant or he was like evil or whatever and i'm like no he was just a weird dude like he was just different yeah. so um so yeah that's that, that's what i remember and i you know i would have been interested to get his take on what's happening but i'm sure it would have been some sort of conspiracy and um <laughs> so then that's just the way he thought right like oh yeah this is a government virus and whatever you know so and I don't want to leave without talking about your in-person clinic. So it's definitely on my list, and I'm hoping this thing oh, yeah. gets over with so I can go and attend. Any plans to tentatively come back to the Texas area? Well, I, I mean, was supposed cause... to do an in-service for the Texans, right? But that's on hold. So, you know, when that gets resurrected, I'll let you guys know, and we can do something there, too. I, yeah, I, well, at least we can go to dinner. <laughs> yeah, we went to, I went to Dallas and did it at, um, it was the uh, Andrews Institute. Uh, children's health and I guess Exos has a facility there too so we did it in that facility and that was really good had a lot of baseball uh, people there as well and um, you know somebody <laughs> I have a side conversation I'll tell you about later we can't put it on the air but um, yeah uh, but but certainly there were a lot of people who attended from the area and uh, then uh, went to the game I guess Minnesota was playing so I met with Mark Uyama for dinner when I was there too and went and saw the game after um at the cowboys facility or at the cowboy stadium um so it was a good trip so, so yeah definitely I'll, I'll be coming back it's just again i had to cancel a whole bunch of stuff this spring because you know i don't know where it's at right and it may not mm -hmm. may not come back until maybe next spring like who knows they're all saying the second wave will be in the fall winter and so i don't know i mean i was thinking about uh shifting some stuff to online but I don't know. The in-person is so valuable that I don't necessarily mm -hmm. want to shift it there right now. And I'm just going to wait it out and everybody's shifting online and Hey, buy my course. And, you know, I, I'm a little sensitive to the fact that people don't have the disposable income. People from colleges are getting laid off or furloughed or, you know, so I'm trying to be sensitive to that as well and, and figure out, you know, when people get back to work and they get money in their hands. Okay. But I, you know, I, I don't know. Do you, I'm, I've just been trying to offer some stuff for free and just kind of keep people interested. And uh, this is not the time to be uh, making money off of people. I think you got to be careful with that. So, yeah, for oh, sure. No, it looks disingenuous. Like I just saw a deal where um, uh, I can't remember what the what the business was. No I think, names. No I, names. I think it was a restaurant. Uh, the lady had like I think two different restaurants. No, it was um, um, uh, salons, like uh, like health kind of med, medi spas deal. And she applied and ended up with that like triple P loan from the government, whatever. And so she had furloughed her people, called them back and was like, hey, you know, I was able to get this money. Like, I'm going to bring you guys back. Like, you know, like uh, everything will be functioning normal. And uh, the people fucking refused to come back because uh, their um, unemployment benefits were better than the money. Hmm. Oh. And so... So, like, there was a weird thing where they were like, we don't want to come back. We're just going to fucking file unemployment. And so they were, they were, it was just interesting to hear, like, how things kind of, you know, people's mentalities. Well, to, to the course, and as you started to work with more, I guess, general population coaches, 
are you still teaching towards a, a high level performance speed or have you included more general population or teenager beginner sprinting techniques? I'm just curious to how the education has evolved as you've had more and more opportunities to teach. I think it shifts. So like if it is at a private facility, like we did one in New York, we did one in Montreal, um, did one in Vancouver and there were private facilities. So there, there's a shift towards like, okay, what is a general population offering, but you still have the same foundations of like the running mechanics. You show them the stuff on the true form. And this is how I would program for the general population and how I would progress. Now, if I did it, the courses as an in-surface for the Seahawks or um, the Texans or the chiefs, then we shifted it to like, this is your situation as a football team. This is your off season. Uh, this is what I would focus on. So I do shift it to the audience. I try to make sure that happens. I don't want to make it overly generic, but certainly there's foundational things that have to be discussed that everybody has to hear. So, and I think it's been successful. Everybody's been pretty, pretty happy in saying it was a good continuing education experience in terms of the level of like, I'll try to do maybe an hour of theory. Then we jump on the track or we jump on the field and do the interactive, go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So people aren't getting bored with just sitting there. Um, you know, so that's, that's why I, I kind of uh, am apprehensive about doing it online because you're going to miss that interactivity, you know? So, and also like the real world feedback and like that instant feedback of running or, you know, being able to go through it and then see other people, you know, the, uh, you know, the kind of like you can hear it, you can do it. You can also see, I think you lose that with the, uh, with the in-person. Or I'm sorry, with the, the online, uh, yeah. Uh, online, online. Yeah. Like how weird would it be if I'm like running on the, uh, on the true form and I'm, you're zooming in watching and then yelling cues. Like, I was like, fuck, like, how, is that how this is going to work? Wow. At least in the interim, it might, you know, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe I'll just do something with true form. So everybody who has a true form, we do a version for them and we do do a zoom. I don't know. Like. I have no clue where this is going, but certainly uh, you got to think a bit laterally about this stuff and you have to compromise at least for the time being, but certainly I'd like to return to in-person group settings where we can have discussions and we can see, go on tangents and try some things and see what happens. So, um, yeah, Derek, you know, we, we traveled for a few years doing in-person as well. Then we decided to pivot and go online, but that was almost prerequisite for the next iteration of what we wanted to do with our in-person. So it's not like, I mean, we have probably like 40% of the people who have done the online course have come to like come to Texas for the in-person. And it just had to do with like a little bit of travel fatigue. I think like family dynamics changed a little bit and then cost to travel and willingness to pay had this weird inverse relationship. So, uh, the, the value there is they have their baseline of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then in in-person, we can really go yeah, deep. They, it creates a better experience for these people that yeah. do arrive. Because they're way more educated. So it's yeah. maybe a model to continue to ruminate on as things start to evolve. Is like to, It's not a full replacement. It's more so like what could be effective at distance learning? And then what would also help create as a prerequisite level of knowledge, a better experience once I get back on the road in person. And then I guess strategically as well, you can kind of track who and where people are buying and then you could find your little pockets to go travel to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause that, that's a good point. Um, yeah. So my level one course could be an online intro and get, get, you know, get them moving. 
uh, get some momentum going into the more. So the second level courses, there's a rehab course called uh, RMP Med. There's a sport course that is really just periodization planning and integration of those techniques into a planning format. And then the other one is, um, I think I have one that's just, just more geared towards fitness people, right? So the level two get more specific. And then even from there, I was going to branch off and say, like, we're just going to do a football one. We're just going to do an ice hockey one. We're just, you know, so those will be more practical in person, I guess. But certainly that level one could be theory and, and prepping people for a foundation of knowledge. Yeah, because as much as, you know, maybe your audience is a little different, but like as much as people you know, unfortunately are finding themselves without work, maybe, you know, expendable income is, is at, at a low. There's also a population of people who have their job and are bored as fuck and are just like, I'll take any class right now. Like, I'm, you know, that's why I don't know if you guys have seen masterclass has been like hammering the paid advertisements on social and YouTube and stuff like that is because there is a peak in, in interest to do some sort of online learning. Have you guys taken any of those masterclasses that they're offering? I'm close. It's real. The commercials are great. <laughs> oh no! It's. Uh, I want to take the I'm, Kevin Spacey I'm, one. I want them to resurrect the Kevin Spacey one because that was the first one. Oh right? yeah. The act is that the acting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's uh-huh. right. That's right. That got the old like. What I wonder they call why. That thing like off the. I wonder why. Character issues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, uh, he I, was like the uh, the the poster child for the B two thing, but mm-hmm. towards dudes. I'm <laughs> curious about the. I am curious about the Neil deGrasse Tyson one. Is he teaching us to be cool? Like, what's it? Is it acting? Uh, so, like, it's um, critical thinking in science. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm thinking MPH. Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <you're... laughs> Doogie, Doogie Howser. Howser. You were thinking Doogie Howser. I'm thinking like. Well, that's Star Talk. I like my I, fast three thinking. Names. The three name took me to MPH and you Harold and Kumar. <laughs> <laughs> Star Talk. Oh, text, dude, I, I, be, I love this. I might love be my all time favorite moment of Power Athlete Radio. That's hilarious. when you confuse Neil deGrasse Tyson with Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. I, I, they're pretty much the same person. Neil, <laughs> I would, I would be the same with you. talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the same deal. Uh, um, uh, but I, you know, because uh, I did, I, I had done a lot of work with Benicio del Toro and traveling with him and stuff. And so uh, they asked him to do one, right? And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. He says, well, and he was busy, so he's like, well, why don't you look into it for me? So I got all the, the, the emails, and I guess what they do is they just kind of set a date, and wherever you are, so if, say if he's in Florida shooting something, they would go to Florida and shoot just whatever, five hours with him talking, and then they built the course around whatever the hell he said. And So it was kind of interesting how they did it. It was uh, They just were using that person for you know just the face time of like, oh, he's talking, and then they just built the context around whatever he said, and it was pretty cool. Did he ever do it? He he never did. No, it. he never did it. So, so what do you? So what's the connection with Benicio del Toro? Uh, he was in Vancouver back in like 2006, and so, you know somebody said, "Hey, can you just watch him and help him out with some stuff?" And then was that for Wanted? It was like a smaller independent film back then. And oh. then the next one he did, we went to Spain and Puerto Rico, and he was uh, Che Guevara. And then oh, eventually, right. you know, we did a whole bunch of other ones. And, you know, I, I went to Albuquerque for Sicario and Sicario 2. Um, you know, and then we were in New York City and he did uh, a one on the, it was a prison out, a prison break. Uh, the story that happened in 2015. I can't remember the, the uh, Richard Madden. Oh. Yeah. No, it was a Showtime show. Ben Stiller. Yeah, it was, it was actually pretty good. 
and um, yeah, I can't remember the name either. Uh, Escape to Danamora from Danamora or something like that. So it's Danamora Prison in New York State. But yeah, it was you know so, and that's that. I spent a lot of time in New York with him and, and connected with Don Saladino in New York. And um, so yeah, no, it's it's been interesting. There's been a lot of uh, interesting stories just from being around him and seeing how that kind of world works. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, very intelligent guy. Very very interesting. So. I love him. So here's, here's a quick uh, question. Do you remember what his first movie was? No. Like the first time you anybody Peter's really like saw James him? Bond. Well, I remember. Uh, I thought it was uh, Usual Suspects. I remember no, he was where in he put, James Bond with Timothy Dalton. Um, uh, he was like the villain's henchman. Um, what was it called? Uh, License to Kill, I think. License to Kill. I saw that in 1989 mm. or 88 or 89. I remember seeing that, and I don't. I didn't know it was him, obviously, but... No, yeah. yeah. Uh, the first time I remember him was in uh, Usual Suspects, which is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, yeah. he's pretty. I I like his character in there. I think he's got maybe like, one, or two, yeah. one or two more, include or not including the the Bond. Fucking Sicario! That, what a I fucking big, good movie. Uh, BDT fan. Derek, my question is: Which actor has the best sprint technique, in Ooh. your opinion? Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> he's no. He's yeah. He's at the far end of that spectrum. He's uh He's uh he's he's not feeding the cats or maybe he is um, or maybe he is yeah he's eating I think he's eating the, when, the cats when, when we teach uh like when we get into like any of the sprint stuff at the seminars that we would teach we would always demo the Steven Seagal guy because that arms yeah. would go side to side yeah the force bleed yeah and uh, we'd be like don't and as soon as we said don't run like you know you're running like Steven Seagal we'd like use that everybody would fucking know instantly what we're talking about yeah yeah like oh I'm doing that. And then my, my other favorite thing, which uh, we don't do, because my favorite part about the in-person was literally just doing some basic warm-up stuff and seeing the people go, same arm, same leg, just to do some fucking like basic sprinting or high knees or any A-skips, B-skips or any of that stuff. Sasquatch. They'd always start. Mm-hmm. And then we would demo and be like, Not okay. Sasquatch. And then Luke would come over and do the Sasquatch run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God damn it. That was funny. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, everybody says, what about Tom Cruise? And they, they show me all these examples of, I'm like, yeah, not bad, you know. Um, but I, I had a chance to meet Billy Crudup because he trains at the Drive Fitness at, at, with Don Saladino. And he's done a lot of, like, he did, um, uh, what's his name? Ah, oh, shit. Almost Famous. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, he was an Almost Famous, but he was Steve Prefontaine in uh, the late 90s, right? right? Um, yep. And so I, I, you know, was talking to him and, and he still runs a lot. And, you know, he was at Oregon doing all of the training, the interval training and all that, running repeat 200s and all that. So, you know, that was somebody who actually did it, was running like 26-second repeats. And so as far as actors go, I'm like, hey, this guy actually did the workouts and was in the character. And so that was one one person that I always go, okay, yeah. And I think in an, another film he did more recently, he was a track coach or a cross-country coach. And so at least he's lived it. So And he, he seems like a really good dude, so... So not Tom Cruise. <laughs> who else is there? I mean, he's the only one who has like long form sprinting scenes that I can think of that are intentional. But uh, like, uh, like the look on his face is always what like screams me when you ever see him run. The look on his face just screams serial killer to me. He, I, I've had, you know, I've, I, I, there was a fellow that uh, worked with Benicio. He was his gun expert. His name is uh, uh, Chick Daniel. And Chick was... Um, LA, um, LA SWAT, uh, special kind of operations guy for LAPD. 
And so he did all the firearms and tactical stuff for a lot of actors. And he worked with Tom Cruise in um, the one with Jamie Foxx, where Tom Cruise played the bad Collateral. Guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was a good movie. I did like I, 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 was yeah, a jazz player. That was sort of un-Tom Cruise-ish, right? And so I asked him about Tom. He said, like, the guy was, like, the nicest guy, professional, did everything, very respectful. And, you know, I you know, obviously didn't talk about what was going on with his personal life. But certainly his interaction with him was extremely positive, you know, so I like okay great man like so i i am a tom cruise fan I'm yeah I, I think he's great yeah. oh, you're a uh, what do you call it when you uh, uh a bandwagon fair, fair weather fan uh i did like well i i can't say like every movie's in but uh like that collateral that's that was a fucking great movie yeah, yeah. It is. i watched like, that recently yeah that's actually i mean risky business i mean top gun is, there is i'm pretty scene. excited for like the new top gun the uh, mission impossible ones kind of lost me because it's always the same plot evil guy has a plot to destroy the world using a virus. There's five story arcs. That's so... There's uh, only five First of all, arcs. it's totally never going to happen. It's totally like... You're literally you, living uh, it. No, that's the irony of this. <laughs> uh, like, did, like, like when this whole thing happened, I'm like, isn't this, a, where it, is isn't this the, the plot of every fucking Mission Impossible? Well, just know that there's someone out there right now that's looking for the antidote. And it's Ethan Hunt. He's out there. Just arm swinging away. It's, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Jerry Maguire. Um, yeah, no, like, yeah, Which, I'm, I mean, I, I'll watch a Tom Cruise movie. I like, I liked, uh, um, the one where he played the fellow who was doing all the transporting of drugs. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, American made. Yeah. That was a good one. Like, I, I'm like, dang, oh. you know, so. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say far and away. <laughs> I don't know that one. You, you, never, you never saw that one with uh, uh, Nicole Kidman, where he was like an Irish no. immigrant who <laughs> came to America. I've had to have seen this. No, I, I think so. That. It's pretty good. I actually like that I one know too. I've had to have seen that. But there is, you know, f- talking about the the um, dude from LA who did the firearms training. There is a scene in Collateral where he, uh, Tom Cruise like pull, draws from inside the waistband and has a like from what, my understanding of what a draw acquiring a target from working with Gonzalez looks like it's like really proficient and seems to be pretty dialed. Well, in. that's the one thing I will push, uh, like why you can't necessarily say that the dude is, uh, not a great actor because his ability to like, for like any of the physical stuff mm-hmm. doesn't ever look fucking hacked. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like he actually learned to fly, uh, for the, the new top gun. I saw that whole deal, how they wanted to do like realistic. So he learned to fly was like an F 15. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the, even the fight stuff, like any of the things that he does, the guy kind of sinks himself in. I mean, he rides motorcycles. I mean, all the stuff that he's doing, I mean, he's legitimately doing those stunts. So I appreciate that. So what, so what was the consensus favorite Tom Cruise movie? I thought we were coming up with who's the best sprinting. Oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah, that was. And, and Derek keeps saying Steven Seagal, but I'm going <laughs> to come back on that one. Most entertaining. He's the- Daniel Craig out here. For the James yep. Bond, he's got a sprint in those. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. Uh, he's pretty. He's in good in shape suit. too. Yeah, in a suit as well, and, and especially like always. an English tailored suit, which are really, really tight in the crotch. What about the guy who's like the king in the Kingsman? Wait, is that the movie? The young actor. Yeah, the young actor. Reg. Reginald, I feel like he's uh, got a sprint scene. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Banksy. Yeah, yeah, I think Banksy. So. Banksy. Is that what? It, and then he, he did Elton John. Yep. Right. I might nominate him. I can't say for sure that we've actually seen it. Taron Edgerton. Yeah. It's too complicated. It's a totally normal name. The guy, did you watch 1917 and the World War One? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. guy was sprinting and running into people. Yeah, that was a good one, mm-hmm. too. So. Mm-hmm. 
Is yeah. that a good one too? I got to write down nineteen seventeen. Yeah, just at like, the last scene. It is. Is it on? Uh, is it on cable? Is it on like Amazon or any of that shit? Or I, or I got to hack it. it. It was the best cinematography have... for sprinting because they had the follow cam, like the the steady cam running mm -hmm. with them. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I watched some behind the scenes and allegedly that run in with the actor that was unintentional, unscripted. So that was legit. Yeah, it was legit. Like I'm going balls out, and then some guy got in my way, and we just. They, and they just kept it rolling. That was cool. Mm. Dude, that reminds me of uh, one of my favorite uh, clips that I've seen is when the guy's going to run, um, uh, like he, he's lining up to do the triple jump, and he goes to take off running just as the girl oh, steps yeah, across yeah, yeah. his path, and he fucking hits her, and then they like showed like the repeat, and they put it to heavy metal music, where it was like, boom, boom, boom. Oh, fuck. I must have watched it like endless amount of times. Just like some girl randomly doing it. Some dude yeah, just she's goes to take that like the big stride for the triple jump and just trucks her. She's like a 110 pound middle distance <laughs> runner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this dude, uh, yeah. Elastic. I feel like mm. if we're talking cinema and sprinting, there's gotta be a Keanu sprint scene in the movie speed. No, mm -hmm. there's one Derek Hansen, in, um, speed. <laughs> what, what's yeah. the one the matrix. Point, point, point break, point break. And, yeah. In the matrix, he does a long jump that doesn't go well off the building. So yeah, yeah. He's, he's up there. <laughs> he's Canadian too. So come on. Oh, he had the automatic victory. Yeah. Uh, that's why he's so nice. <laughs> I was told, uh, th this is going to be, this story could flop. I went to go meet some friends in LA that were traveling through, uh, with like, a, uh, it was Bo and Lou and, I met him at a bar up in L.A., and a couple other people were there. One of the people that uh, came was some executive producer for a CNN something or rather, like kind of like in the Hollywood scene. And I found out just the other day, uh, catching up with those cats, that Keanu Reeves was supposed to meet us for dinner at this place and then bailed at the last second because he didn't want to dine with normies. And I was that close from getting to hang with them. So, like, normies, like the other people, not you. No, no, not me. Yeah, these normies ruined it for me. Yeah. I was a traveling CrossFit seminar instructor at the time, John. I'm C-list. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that close. So, I guess the Penguin photoshopped me in with Keanu Reeves, post it, send it. I'd give him all of his material. It's because it's you. Mm. But um, anything else, Tex? No. I think we covered a lot. Thank you, Derek. Yeah, that was great, guys. No. Always a great conversation with you guys and... Uh, the tangents are uh, exceptional and relevant. Thank you, thank you. So we like to believe that our podcast is the best because not only do we have the ability to go off the script, we can always bring it back, and we inject humor, not just asking questions. Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 very self-deprecating, and yeah, very cool. <laughs> right up my alley. So thank you very much. Uh, you got it. Where do people have to go if they want to learn about the courses? Uh, runningmechanics.com, sprintcoach.com. Like the running mechanics is the courses. The sprint coach is more of the consulting and stuff. So cool. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you very much, yeah. guys. And be safe. And yeah. I'll, I'll touch base with you soon. Yeah. yeah I mean, dude, you. like uh, if you when this thing ends and some normalcy happens, if uh, you're ever in Texas anywhere, man, hit us up. We'd love to come at least take you to dinner and like whatever you got. It's going. probably one of the first priorities because I have to do that stuff with uh, the Texans. So, yeah. That, that I'll let you guys know, give you a heads up so there's some time there. All right, sounds great. Look forward to it. Okay, guys. Thank you. Thanks, sir. Take care. Bye-bye.
it's time for you to empower your performance. You can follow Derek Hansen on Instagram under the handle at Derek M. Hansen or head to runningmechanics.com or sprintcoach.com for more information or a consultation. And let's not forget Derek's ringing endorsement for Power Athlete Radio. Quote, the tangents are exceptional and relevant. Probably the best review we've ever received. Until next time, bye! A little white pill for them little white